0: Every year at Christmas time, I guarantee you, up to this point and already to this point and every Christmas hereafter, you're going to be hearing somewhere some of the work of one Charles Jennings. He was a wealthy landowner in early 1700s England. He had a reputation for being a devoted Christian. He knew his Bible. And it was Jennings who, in 1741, put together a collection of scriptures, and he sent them to a friend, a man with whom he had collaborated over the years on a lot of his musical work. Jennings' goal in this particular collection of scripture was to lay out a defense against a teaching that was rising in the Church of England called deism. It denied the deity of Jesus. It denied the the inspiration of scripture. It denied God's involvement with people. And he hoped that this would help change that. So he selected 81 Bible verses from 14 different books of the Bible, pieced them together in a way that told the story, the whole story of Jesus. He believed it was an important project. The words were not his own words, but the work of putting them together was. He had high hopes that his friend, George Frederick Handel would make an oratorio of them that would be heard by a lot of people starting with an Easter performance that was scheduled for the next year. July, 1741, Jennings wrote this to one of his friends about Handel and he said, I hope he will lay out his whole genius and skill upon it that the composition may excel all his former compositions as the subject excels every other subject. The subject is Messiah. Handel went to work on it one month later throwing himself into a frenzy of composing. And within three to four weeks, he had written a two and a half hour oratorio with the best known choral work in history. 259 pages of manuscript ending with the initials SDJ. Initials that Handel and Johann Sebastian Bach often wrote at the end of their works. Soli Deo Gloria, a Latin phrase that means to God only be the glory. Handel was praised by people like Mozart and Beethoven. You may have heard of them. What we all remember him for, though, is especially this, right? Handel's Messiah. But without the humble work of Charles Jennings, it wouldn't have existed. And without the words of scripture, Charles Jennings' work would not have existed either. Fifty-three movements of scripture set to words that all came together to tell the story of God's plan to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. Over half of them are from the Old Testament. By the way, the Hallelujah Chorus, you may have heard of that. That's not the end of it. That's somewhere near the middle, actually. Handel's Messiah serves to me as a reminder that the story of Christmas is so much more than just what we read in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 2 around this time of year. You know, the people of Jesus' day, in some ways, may have been surprised as he was born. But when you read the whole story of scripture, when you put it all together, there is really no surprise because what happened at Christmas time that first Christmas day is just like he said it would happen. At least six books of the Old Testament give specific facts about some part of the Christmas story. Some of those very long before it happened Before there was Christmas time, before there was a Christmas story that we celebrate this time of year, you know what, there was also a human story. The whole reason for the Christmas story. Here's a fun fact this morning. Take your whole Bible, open it up in front of you and think to yourself, I'm gonna read through the Bible and maybe you're like Ebenezer Scrooge and I just as soon skip Christmas. How far can I get into the Bible before I start hearing Christmassy stuff? How far can I get into scripture before I run into something about Christmas? What, 70%, 50%? Try 0.2%, 0.2%, and you run into what we're gonna look at here in just a moment. Look with me at Genesis chapter three. Mankind has rebelled against God And as a result, the earth is going to undergo a change. Paul calls it subjecting it to futility. In the list of things that are going to happen, God is speaking. He speaks directly to the devil. And we get there, our very first glimpse that God is going to come to earth as a man one day. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember that verse. God told him, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Folks, that's the first reference to Jesus coming to earth. Skip ahead to chapter 12. God's plan begins to unfold and it unfolds in in the form of a list of fathers. He takes an old man who has no children with his wife, Abram, and he sets him aside to begin a nation. Chapter 12 of Genesis, verse two, God said to Abram, I will make of you a great nation in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Years went by. God's plan didn't seem to be happening at all because to become a father of a great nation, you need to have at least a child. And that just wasn't happening. Abram is 99, described in Hebrews 11 as good as (laughs) dead. Sarah is 89, described in Hebrews 11 as past the age. God tells him in chapter 17 verse 19, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Look at those words, an everlasting covenant. Isaac is born, he grows up, he has a son named Jacob. God names that Jacob Israel, and he assures him that the promise he had made to his father, grandfather, Abraham, stands. Genesis 28, verse 14. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Recognize those words. Israel becomes the father of 12 sons, one of them named Judah. Judah will become a tribe of Israel, the tribe of kings. Before he dies, Israel makes a very interesting prophecy about his son, Judah. Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Years later, a man named Jesse from the tribe of Judah has a son named David who becomes the second king of Israel. A man who is so important that to this day, the symbol, the national symbol of the nation of Israel is the star of David. God says to him, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, he says to David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. Now, David's son Solomon fulfilled the first part of that prophecy. Solomon built the temple, just like he said. But for the line of kings for Solomon, from Solomon on, to be established forever, well, that's going to take more than just the men who come after him. There is another king in mind here, isn't there? There is another throne in mind. There is this throne that lasts forever. It is the throne of King Jesus. This plan of God that has been unfolding and that he has been promising and re-promising since Genesis 3.15 is all very tangible throughout the Bible. Just start with Abram, trace the family line. In fact, when you go to the Christmas story, there are at least two people who say, that's what you're supposed to do when you tell the Christmas story. Matthew and Luke. They both put genealogies in the story as they tell about the arrival of Jesus to earth. By the way, genealogy is not the study of puffy blue people who live in lamps, all right? (laughs) Genealogies are those lists of names. You know, so-and-so became the father of so-and-so, became the father of so-and-so. And if you ever wondered why are those in there, there's your answer. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. As Matthew begins his gospel, he takes the long look backward and says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Those lists of people tell a story. Oh, there are hiccups and... There are disruptions and mess-ups included in it. But guess what? It all turns out just like God said it would turn out. Make a note of that. When God sets a plan in motion, when God says it's going to happen, it happens. Isaiah 21 or 25 verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Psalm thirty-three, eleven says the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That is how God makes a promise to a man. And for some 2,000 years, over all the generations that pass, As kingdoms rise and fall, the purpose of the Lord, the plans of his heart, the plans formed of old are still unfolding. His plans are so sure that he even works them in around your mess-ups and my mess-ups. Does it help your heart to recall this morning that God's plans for history aren't going to be set aside just because people try to undo them? Yes. Keep that in mind as we come into an election year. We might make a mess of things here on planet Earth, but it is the purpose of that Lord that will stand. Here comes Jesus, just like he said. Learn that. And the family line of Jesus, that's just one detail. Wake back up now if you're not a genealogy person, all right? Four other Old Testament books speak about specific things that will happen about how Jesus is going to arrive on earth. I want to look at those real quick. The first one, you know these from the Christmas story, right? A virgin will bear a son. That's Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We see that most wonderfully being fulfilled in Luke 1 as an angel comes to Nazareth and visits a young woman named Mary and tells her she's going to bear a son. She's puzzled at that news. How can this be? She says, I'm a virgin. That's not possible. So the angel delivering the message explains to her, verse 35, that this child will be the son of God. His conception is going to be a miracle, and his father, therefore, is not going to be human. So his very presence will announce to the world that God has come to live among us. Now, God had visited people in the past, but this time he was coming and confining himself in the limits of human existence of human flesh and blood and everything that goes along with that he came here among us just like he said another detail is that he'll be born in Bethlehem Micah 5 verse 2 but you will Bethlehem Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days." Mary's time to deliver the baby was approaching. And one day for his morning devotions, Joseph was reading from Upper Room. And he ran across Micah 5 too. And he came running into Mary and he said, Mary, we better hurry up and get down to Bethlehem to make sure that the baby gets born there. If this doesn't work out, they're going to have to change all the Christmas songs that say Bethlehem to Nazareth. (laughs) It wasn't Joseph and Mary's plan to be in Bethlehem when she would give birth to Jesus. That was because of Caesar Augustus issuing a decree that everybody had to register, remember? A census. No young couple about to have a baby decides, well, let's take a 90 mile on foot journey to go somewhere out of town. Something bigger was taking place. Do you suppose at some point, a few months later, <coughs> Mary and Joseph together are reflecting on how everything had happened and maybe they were standing in wonder a little bit at the way that God had forecast all of this. When was the last time you did that? Not just at Christmas and the Christmas story, but at the way for those who love God have all things worked out together for good. Or at the way the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Or at the way when you resisted the devil, he fled from you. Or at the way that God Supplied all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When was the last time you stepped back and thought about that and stood in wonder at how that worked out? For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Jesus was born in Bethlehem just like he said. Here's another detail. This one's not as happy, but you know it from the Christmas story. There will be weeping surrounding the time that he is born, and many children will die. That one's in the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 31, verse 15, thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. If we had just gone back and read Jeremiah 31, we probably would not have understood that these words were about the Christmas story. But Matthew helps us see that they are. If you were to visit today outside the city of Bethlehem, you would see that guess whose tomb is just outside of Bethlehem? Rachel's. And When King Herod ordered the slaughter of all baby boys to and under in Bethlehem and in all of its region, He didn't know that he was fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah 31. But Matthew says, thus was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. You know, there are a lot of things that you and I would say were wrong about the birth of Jesus. They were out of their hometown. There was no room for them in the inn. There wasn't even a proper place to lay that newborn baby. But there were few things more wrong about the birth of Jesus than the murder of innocent babies by a half crazed king. Now, once again, did Herod read the book of Jeremiah and say to himself, Well, I'd better do something to the, the baby boys of Bethlehem, like it says here? No. But God had Jeremiah prophesy that there would be severe sadness sometime in the future. Herod ordered it. It happened just like God said it would. What do you do with all that's wrong around you? At some point, you would do well and I would do well to recognize the way that God has already explained why it's happening. Romans 8 verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Here's one more detail from the birth of Jesus. Jesus. And that is that the Messiah would end up in Egypt. That's in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You see, since Herod was seeking to kill the baby Jesus, God warned Joseph, who took his new family and went to Egypt. It wasn't because... Egypt was a great vacation place. It was a place outside of Herod's control where they would be safe. Matthew, writing about this, takes Hosea 11.1 and he applies it in a way, again, that we wouldn't have recognized. Just as surely as God had rescued the entire nation of Israel and brought them out of Egypt, his son, born into this world, was down in Egypt and would come out. Egypt, Jesus comes out of it, just like he said. Now, these are some of the places across the Old Testament that point us to the Christmas story. And you're going, all right, handles Messiah, all of these things. What do these have to do with one another? I'm glad you asked that. Because at this point, I hope that you're beginning to see what a great thing it is. That all of these things were written beforehand and that we can read about them in the Christmas story. And to help make sure that happens, I want to finish by pointing out just a few of those. Okay, so this is the oh, yeah, so what part of the message today, which means we're getting close to landing the airplane. So hang on. Here we go. (laughs) Number one. Here's an oh, yeah, so what God has things under control. God's got things under control. That's been true for all of human history. It was true for all of biblical history. And it is true this morning. And it will be true tomorrow. God has things under control. I can't tell you how much peace I take from that simple fact of life. I know that when I get up in the morning, tomorrow morning, No matter what email has come through, no matter what phone call I might receive that day, no matter what comes in the mail, no matter what is on the news, no matter what I feel like when I climb out of the bed, no matter how much I wish that I could control other people's choices, even no matter how much Satan is at work on planet Earth, God has things under control. God is in control and these scriptures about how Jesus came to arrive on this planet tells us that that's why it's such a good thing here's the second reason it's so good because God keeps his promises remember integrity that thing remember truthfulness remember trust those are not concepts that are dead and gone First of all, you could keep them viable by living them yourself, but even then you're going to fail sometimes. God won't. All the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesse, David, and all the others that he has kept, he'll keep his word to you too. God keeps his promises. We can remember that today. Here's the third great feature of this, and that is that the Bible is reliable. I wish I had more time to spend on this today, but maybe, and I hope you have been looking at this today and just kind of saying in the back of your mind for several minutes now, wow, all of these things in the Old Testament that we looked at today, those were fulfilled just by the Christmas story. And all of those things that we looked at today were written 700 years plus before Jesus was born. These weren't just written by men who were lucky and made some good guesses. These were inspired by the Holy Spirit directing Moses and Isaiah and Hosea and Jeremiah and Micah to write them. You see, only God could see the future that they couldn't see. Only God could write this book. And so Jesus came like this book said he would come. Here he comes, just like he said. Let me take you to another good feature of this. All the good news of Christmas is really good news. Last week, Lori Cruden set up some of the nativity scenes in our kids' ministry. And she came from doing that. She told me, all right, no wise men in the manger scenes this year. I said, really? She said, yep, we're going to be accurate with that. They're all going to be somewhere away from it. And I applauded her for that. Because, read it, the Magi are not at the manger. Let's be accurate. Some of you are already bothered that I said that. (laughs) And you know, someone might be bothered that at Central Christian Church in one of the kids' rooms, there's this manger scene, but the wise men are over here. What? What? Someone's going to be bothered that we're being true to Scripture and messing up their warm, fuzzy feelings about Christmas. But like I mentioned to Lori when she told me about that, that's great. You know what? That's going to create some teachable moments. And that's right. We intend to brainwash those little toddlers with the idea that what the Bible says is true. And it matters. One of my main goals this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you're gonna leave here today more likely to explain your faith to someone who needs to hear it. Understanding what we just looked at will help you with that. But understanding it is just one step. Believing it and then sharing it with somebody. That's the next thing after that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able and you should be willing to explain why. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Today, we just loaded up on some more of the why to believe in Jesus. And at the bottom of it, it's just like he said. Here's one more. When Jesus returns, it shouldn't be a complete surprise to us. Jesus said he's coming again. He said that nobody knows the day or the hour, so watch. Be ready. Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 5, You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Why shouldn't followers of Jesus be taken by surprise? Well, because we know that Jesus is going to return, just like he said. One day that's going to happen. You're going to be surprised? Well, I'll be pretty excited if it happens in my lifetime, but I won't be able to say, well, there's a surprise. There's a surprise we don't have to fear. For the same reason, we don't have to fear if we die before that day, whether we're alive and Jesus is coming to get us, or if we die and we're going to appear before him, it is all going to shake down, just like he said. Ready or not, Jesus is coming, just like he said. We're just brash enough at Central Christian Church to speak that. And to tell other people, we want you not to be surprised when he comes. We want you to be ready. That's what the church is here for. To help other people get to that point. So this morning, if that's you, you haven't made that decision to accept Jesus, then we're asking you, will you please look at the big picture, look at the big story that God has spelled out in his word and understand that he has a place for you in that. He wants you to become a follower through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're ready to do that this morning, we are ready for you. We are ready uh, this morning for you to have the opportunity to say, yep, I believe this. I believe Jesus is God's son. And I'm saying goodbye to my old life. And I'm ready to start a new life in him. And I wanna be baptized into him and begin today. If you haven't made that decision yet, I hope that that's something that you'll consider. If you need to learn more about it, great. We would love the opportunity to sit down with you and to help you see what God has said about following him. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. You've kind of stepped aside from that. And today you're just just realizing, I I remember now why I was first convicted of these things, but I haven't been living like that. It's been what I really believe. Well, stop it. Now is the time to get that right. You with God standing here today, stop that. Ask for his help. If you need someone to come alongside you and encourage you, someone to hold you accountable, look around you at this church family, at this group of people who will help you. Let's stand up together. We're going to pray together. We're going to uh, sing a closing song today. I invite you to come down here to the front while we're singing that song if you have a decision to make. If you want someone to help you or if you're ready to accept Christ, just come on down here to the front when we're singing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Like we sang earlier, your holy word, faithful, uh, ever true, changing us. Father, thank you that we can stand on the reliability of that amazing collection of books that you inspired. That not only tell us how we are to live but that spell out your plan for all of time in history thank you Father that we are a part of that, that today uh, in this place at this time you've spelled it out we can see that you have something good for us to do certain ways for us to live our lives Father I pray that you would be at work on our hearts now Help us not just to look at information and have it be something that rests in our minds, but something that moves our hearts, that moves our hands to action so that you are the one who is honored. We pray these in Jesus' name.